Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on an overcast day in a rather empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Knuckle Patel, Director of Air Blue Lets, a short-term property management service operating in London. Knuckle, hello. Hi, Matthew. How are you, how are you doing? Very well. Thank you for coming on the program today. Now, normally we charge headlong into the subject of leadership. However, considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has this affected your business? Um, Yeah, so effectively, it's had um, quite a drastic impact. Um, So ultimately, we operate in the hotel and sort of holiday rental industry. So um, I think in terms of sectors, we've been probably the one that's been most heavily impacted because obviously there's been a complete halting in terms of traveling and ability to travel and also confidence in terms of traveling to properties, um, sorry, and areas such as London itself. Um, So we've been hit fairly hard in terms of um, the situation in terms of COVID-19. Do you feel that this is going to have a long-term effect on your operation? Um, I think ultimately it will have uh, an effect in terms of the consumer confidence will be fairly low to begin with. However, we do see that um, things will slowly pick up again. Um, And then us as a business as well, we've tried our best to adapt to the current situation. Um, So just for your reference in terms of being able to adapt to it, we've been offering um, accommodations for free to NHS and key workers um, who are trying to support local hospitals in the area. Um, and basically, we've also offered um, a variation in terms of what we do in terms of management. So we now have um, a longer let on of the business, if you will, to try to um, work with um, customers in terms of our landlords and clients um, in terms of offering a different letting style to guests. So hopefully um, it's not going to have too much of a detrimental impact in terms of the market being able to be picked up again. However, um, for the sort of immediate future, we do see an impact in terms of the way people are traveling and the way they will travel in the future. But hopefully the business itself will be able to sustain um, the current climate and be able to come through um, with a sort of a renewed um, business model almost, if you will. What is the next step uh, that you need to take? What are what are some of the uh, plans that uh, you have to put in place uh, when uh, recovery uh, becomes a priority? Yeah, so ultimately it's a, it's a difficult one because you're you're really working with something that's never been happened before. But in terms of the next steps, what we've done as a business is we've analysed where we where we see the market going and. Um, effectively how we can try to move towards that. So um, as I briefly touched upon before, what we've realized is that in the future, we see short travels in terms of um, a hand, uh, sort of a long weekend style travels potentially being a thing of the past um, for for the foreseeable future anyway. Um, and then accommodations moving towards more of a longer let. So that might be two or three weeks um, onwards. Um, and effectively what we've done from that is we've sort of analyzed that this is what the market's tending to move towards. And this is also what our customers and consumers are demanding more so. So what we've done in terms of planning is we've offered a new arm to the business um, in terms of longer lets. uh, And that's basically what we're trying to do is just trying to analyze what we think the market will look to in a a sort of a six to 12 month period and seeing where we can best offer our services and adapt um, in terms of moving forward. Well, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start the part of the conversation on leadership off by asking the same question. What does the word leader mean to you? 
Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in terms of what a leader means to me, um, essentially, I think what a leader is is effectively an individual who can bring together um, its own employees and also customers um, effectively towards um, a common goal and a common vision. Um, so that's effectively what I think a leader is, is someone who can rally people together to follow one sort of common goal and vision. Um, and that's a, what I would class as a leader. Now, uh, of course, leadership comes in many different forms, but the one thing we do know is that it doesn't develop in a vacuum. So let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Did you have any particular yeah. role models who shaped you as you are today? Uh, yeah, good question. So um, in terms of my early career, I actually started this business when I was 22 years old, so quite soon after university. Um, so unfortunately, I didn't have great exposure to um, sort of numerous industry leaders and basically people from various businesses. However, I did have a very strong family base. Um, so that effectively helped me shape me as um, in terms of my characteristics and also um, what I believe is a positive role model, really. Um, the positive aspect on my side is I did have a brother in the industry who owns and operates um, a property management company. So I was able to uh, learn from learn from him and see what to do moving forward and see sort of issues and um, complexities in terms of managing a, a business and what that really does entail from from myself. So um, I, I had some positive role models to start off with so and still do to this day. So um, yeah, I was quite fortunate really. Now uh, let's talk a bit about your personal leadership style. Uh, what is it? How would you describe it? Yeah, um, so effectively I think my leadership style um, to put it quite simply, is, is very candid. Um, so I'm quite honest in terms of being a leader. So what I mean by that is I like to keep communication nice and clear um, in terms of when I'm communicating issues, um, when I'm communicating um, problems that are in the business or sort of things that we need to improve upon. So I like to keep everything nice and clear and honest. Um, I think people do understand that um, and do respond to that quite positively because I'm not a leader that's not approachable. I'm someone who can... Um, present the issues that we do have and present solutions moving forward. And I like to think my leadership style is nice and honest. And also I like to think, as I'm sure many people do, but we, we all try our best to basically lead by example. Um, and I think that effectively comes in many different forms. So obviously from the simple forms of coming in on time, being presentable when you're in the office, and also how you speak to clients, how you speak to customers and how you deal with negative situations as well. So I like to think um, I've got quite an honest uh, leadership style, if, that, if that's what makes sense. Well, absolutely. Um, let's talk a bit about how leadership is exercised. Now, of course, uh, it's a, a very difficult subject to approach, but it's one that all uh, leaders within industry have to. Uh, when it comes to conflict within the workplace, how do you diffuse that? Yeah, good question. Um, so I think from an early age, I realized that conflict is something that will happen um, in terms of also issues. Like, So the way I look at it is, um, things that can go wrong generally do tend to go wrong at some point in the future, whether you plan for them or not. Um, so the way I deal with conflict um, within the business, whether it's internal or even external with a client or anything that may occur, um, what I try to do is I try to understand the other person's perspective uh, and try to see the, basically the events that led up to this point to try to understand um, the course of how this conflict arose. And then ultimately what I always try to do is um, once we've established sort of how and why we got to the scenario is um, what we are going to do moving forward to ensure this doesn't happen again. 
because I think a, a lot of times people feel sh- fall quite short in terms of resolving an issue in a short-term aspect. But however, in a long-term um, scenario of looking to progress past the issue and looking to make sure things don't happen again, um, I think people sometimes do kind of miss the long-term aspect of it as well because it's fair enough of dealing with a problem in conflict now. It's also making sure you have contingencies and plans in place to ensure that these same things do not happen again. Um, so that's basically how I would deal with um, any conflict is deal with a perspective of everybody, see how we got to the situation and trying to resolve it, and then finally seeing what we can do to ensure this doesn't happen again. Now, unfortunately, our time together is drawing to its close, but before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Air Blue Let's? Good question. Um, well, hopefully the market um, does settle down and we are globally allowed to um, have some sort of um, reassurance moving forward. Uh, and then once that sort of happens, we imagine that the short-term industry and travel industry will slowly pick up. Um, and whilst um, that slowly picks up as well, we're also going to be pushing and working with our existing clients um, to try to ensure that the properties that we are managing are still um, profitable for them um, by moving them towards a longer let. Um, as I mentioned, sort of at the top of the call, um, we are now basically moving towards a more traditional style of lettings as well um, to help offer a more sort of a holistic package to our clients and anyone um, who's potentially looking to work with us as well. So um, I think the, the next 12 months will require a lot of planning, but they are looking optimistic because we see the market slowly, slowly looking like it's going to pick back up again. Uh, and hopefully we're in a position um, that we can sort of capitalize on that um, increase in um, in travel uh, and also um, rentals, etc. Well, Knuckle, uh, uh, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today. And of course, uh, we'd love to have you back on when things get back to some semblance of normalcy. Knuckle, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast as well. So thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure talking with you, Matthew. That was Knuckle Patel, director of Air Blue Let's. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, My only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be (laughs) playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence 
the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he, uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top. He's absolutely vital. For a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that 
era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind 
that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by 
hook by hook, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team latterly, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know, uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, the um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.